Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Hello, world. My name is Ryan Miller, and I'd like to welcome you to the inaugural episode of a new podcast called Triple Threat Theater, hosted by myself and me. Joe Daxberger. Welcome, everyone. Whew. Joe Daxberger. Yes. Our podcasting powers are uniting. We made it. <laughs> Sidetrack podcast meets digital dog soup. Mm-hmm. God only knows how this mutation of the two is going to turn <laughs> out. Well, if that's not a great description, I don't know what is. <laughs> All right. So as I said, the show is called Triple Threat Theater. Mm-hmm. Why don't you lay it on the good people listening what the show is, how it came about. Well, friends and enemies. Millsy, your memory is so much better than mine that <laughs> you'll be a little better with the history of Triple Threat Theater. But what it is, we're taking three movies per episode. Three. And giving a breakdown, not so much a synopsis, our review, discussion, what we think about these movies. And they're all, all three will be related in some way that we find fitting. Some sort of theme. Yeah. We're not going to be doing any franchises, so it's not like we're going to be doing all three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films or something like True. that. True. No, we're being... But what could be possible is like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, which is a good idea that we don't have written <laughs> down as a potential episode, but maybe we should. We'll see. <laughs> Um, but it branches much, much more broadly than that. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got some episodes where the links between the movies are uh, weak at best. Yep. <laughs> Obscure, I'd say. And then we've got some that are pretty obvious, I think. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a lot of heat there. Yeah. Uh, as of this recording, we have uh, 83 potential episodes, mm-hmm. uh, like ready ideas we want to do. Right. Um, and it's all going to hinge on whether or not this first one's any good. So, well, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. Uh, yeah, I the so the theme of this episode, uh, the title we came up with is "Beware the Deep," and the reason that this is the first episode is because, however, it is that we decided to do the show. These three movies were the three that like sparked us to say like, "Hey, we should." We, that would be like a cool podcast. Do you remember at all how it started? No, I think you and I were chatting, and we. I I, I don't know. I think we just. I think we were probably talking about Deep Star Six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so beware the deep. We're doing three like water based horror movies, uh, and it has to be Deep Star Six that you and I were talking about. Uh, so we're doing Deep Star Six, Leviathan, and Deep Rising. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you hadn't seen Deep Rising before now. Correct. You had seen Leviathan, though? Yes. It probably just came down to the fact that Deep Star Six and Leviathan are both like underwater horror monster movies that came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. That are not and the abyss. Th- <laughs> that's the thing. Like, 
as I was sitting here watching the movies, I was like, man, why didn't we do The Abyss? Because that Leviathan and Deep Star 6 all came out in 1989. But I think the distinguishing factor with The Abyss is it's not really like a monster horror movie. No. It's sci-fi, and there are like creatures in it, but it's more along the lines of something like Close Encounters, I guess, where it's not like a malevolent alien force. Right. In that case, the evil is man. Every time. Um, I think that's exactly what it was because I want to say we nixed the abyss because we had, well, at least me, I w- at that point would have seen all three movies, mm-hmm. whereas I've never seen Deep Rising. So I'm thinking maybe I pulled for that one just so I could watch something I haven't seen yet. And I'm always looking for an excuse to rewatch Deep Rising. Well, there you go. I had seen all three of these movies before. Uh, I definitely have a fondness for all of them. Um, what do you say? Do we just jump right in? Jump right in. Uh, let's go. Uh, I was going to go chronologically. I'm not sure which came out first in 1989, (laughs) Deep Star Leviathan, but let's just go Deep Star 6. Hit it. Okay. Deep Star 6. How do you read? Loud and clear. All right. Let's stand by for a systems check. Pressure. Pressure. 3.6 and hold. Check. Oxygen. Oxygen is 4.0. Check. Fuel? 1.12 pounds. Pressure steady. Check. Locking collar? Retracted. Check. Umbilicals? Clear. Check. Henway? Henway ready. Wait, 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 wait. what's a Henway? Oh, about three to four pounds. (laughs) 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 Very funny, assholes. DSRV2, you are checked out and cleared for departure. Have a nice day, Snyder. I got you a nice day right here, McBride. I don't know about you, but this is the one that I saw first. Um, I'm I'm sure I talked about it on the Sidetrack podcast at some point, but when I was pretty young, like young enough that most parents probably wouldn't let their kids watch like horror movies. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in kindergarten, my best friend was a girl named Carla Myers. And you've been to the town I live in. It's a tiny little middle of nowhere town with like Fact. barely anything around. <laughs> so one thing we did have though, back in the eighties and early nineties was a mom and pop video store. And, uh, it was right across the street from the elementary school that I went to. And, uh, my friend, my best friend, when I was in like kindergarten, first grade, Carla Myers, her grandfather owned the used video store, the, uh, the mom and pop video store and her mother ran it. Mm-hmm. And so like, Carla and I, we bonded over our love of, like, Ghostbusters when we were kids. And so, with my parents' permission, um, they would let... uh, Carla's mom, who ran the store, would let me rent pretty much anything I wanted, like, horror-related, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, in this mom-and-pop video store, they had, like, the beaded curtain, but it wasn't into a room filled with porn. It was, like, the Mm. room where all the horror movies were. (laughs) Wow. So they treat horror like smut there, do they? Yeah. I mean, it was a really tiny place. Um... Like, looking at it now from the outside, like, it's not a video store anymore. It's someone's house now. But looking at it from the outside, this place was freaking tiny. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I was a kid, like, the movies I remember renting most frequently from that video store. I don't even know the name of the store. It's been so long. But uh, were Critters 2. Classic. uh, Which was always my preferred Critters movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The Stuff. Oh, and Deep Star Six. Nice. I rented all three of those movies multiple times just based on the box like artwork. 
I did not know this story. Yeah, and I've always loved the box art for Deep Star Six. It's just like the uh, the big bulky underwater diving suit, yes. like ripped in half and just floating in the water. Let me tell you, same feeling. I've always loved that box art. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar ish to Leviathan a little bit. I'm not even that familiar with Leviathan's like cover artwork. It's like a, I and I own that movie. <laughs> I think it's a couple people like rising, like straight up while they're at an angle. I mean, it's, oh, okay. you get the gist, but, um, mm-hmm. with me growing up, there was plenty of rental, uh, places in Brockton where I'm from. And we were big on taping things off of movie channels and TV. Mm-hmm. Like we we definitely did plenty of that, but when I was a kid, we didn't have cable or satellite okay. or anything because we I live in the middle of nowhere. And right. <laughs> so yeah, growing up, like my house was like shitty with boxes full of taped over VHSs, <laughs> and you know I can like still vividly remember like all the opening like HBO crawl logo <laughs> things because I've seen yeah. them so many times. Back when they had some style and it wasn't just white text on a black screen. Exactly. I can, you know, even now I can just, I can hear the old theme song in my head that I used mm-hmm. to play, like, forget it. So for me, Deep Star Six, way back, has been one of those old old movies. I mean, I've been into monster movies my entire life, I'd say at this point. Yeah. Um, and this Same. Is, I Obviously. feel like, because this movie's, the, these are both 89. This Leviathan, is Leviathan and Deep Star are both 89, yeah. Yeah, so I was seven, you were... In 89, I would have been four. I mean, I probably didn't see the movie until I was like six or seven, if I had to guess. I mean, I would say, you know, if I doubt I saw it the year it came out, just because if it was an HBO thing, I don't know how long it took for stuff to hit HBO or whatever back then, but Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't go to the theater to see that one, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, All I can really remember timeline-wise is... I was definitely seven years old the first time I saw Alien and Aliens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so my father, <laughs> I was actually in the uh, the Tawny Town Library, which is like a couple towns over from where I live. Um, like we would rent videos there all the time. And I was seven years old and my father walks over with Alien and Aliens in his hand. And he's like, here, I think you'd like these. We should rent them. Man. Like that was that was my like... <laughs> my introduction to horror movies and stuff growing up was just does, like, I, I could watch pretty much anything. Does Curtis senior have any idea what that day did to you? <laughs> I think he feels it whether or not he actually knows. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he feels it every day. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to send my dad the link to this episode. Aren't yeah. you? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So like, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I probably would have seen deep star six when I was around seven years old, if I had to guess, which would have been like 92 ish. So safe to assume for both of us formative years. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, I mean, I have, I have memories of, uh, of all fucking things. Um, like I had, uh, you know, ton of the three and three quarter inch GI Joes when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would play G.I. Joe's with them sometimes, but I would they would also become like the stand ins for all of the toy lines that didn't exist for movies I loved. Oh, forget it. So I definitely have memories of uh, playing Deep Star Six with my G.I. Joe's like who else can fucking say that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like the monster in the movie, you you hardly get a look at the thing Mm -hmm. like 
I don't think you ever see its entire body. It's always at least partially submerged in water, and you only really see it at the very end. But like one image that always stuck in my mind is when um, the the one woman towards the end of the movie is like electrocuting it with the defibrillator paddles. Yep. And it's got her pinned against the wall, and it almost looks like a claw. It's like a big, long finger thing on either side of her neck. So in my mind as a kid, I'm like, oh, this thing has, like, crab claws. So weird tangent, but I used to use a pair of tweezers to represent the <laughs> monster claw attacking my my G.I. Joes. Like, yes. This was definitely an, a somewhat important movie for me at a certain time in my life. Well, let me say right now that... I was sure for probably decades at this point that I was the only living, breathing Deep Star 6 super fan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's taken this many years into our friendship for me to find out that, no, oh, that's actually you. Yeah, my G.I. Joe's definitely got terrorized, and at least one or two of them died from explosive decompression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, oh, Which, none, of, none of them got uh, blown up with the dart gun thing? Uh, no, I have completely forgot about that until this oh, most recent dude. rewatch. Oh, please. But that's an interesting point. Like, we've hardly even said what the movie is, but uh, it's a monster movie. and Let's, uh, let's the, go quick synopses on these. Okay, um, so... Deep Star 6, um, underwater mining rig of some kind. I don't know if they specified exactly what they're doing down. Oh, no, they're they're, they're installing, like, a missile sled for the military to launch, yeah. like, subterranean nuclear missiles or something? Well, I mean, it was the 80s. I mean, we got some, I guess, some Cold War, sh- kill the commies, <laughs> you know, fire on the Soviet Union from wherever. Yeah. They do, they do not go into detail. It is something about a... Uh, what do they call it? A uh, uh, not even a lake, uh, ocean bed, crater kind of thing that they're gonna put, a, you know, like a missile sled. Yeah, they keep referring to the missile sled. And then at one point, the nuclear missiles do get detonated, and like I was confused watching it this time. I was like, why did uh, why did homeboy detonate those missiles? Um, because he didn't seem to do it on purpose. And I actually had to read about this online, but do you know what happened there? Like why he detonated them? No. And we're talking about the bad guy from RoboCop, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, what's his name? <laughs> uh, Miguel Ferrer is yes. his name in real life. That's him. In this movie, he plays Snyder, the bumbling, idiotic, like every horror movie has to have like the one person in the group who just like can't fucking handle it and loses it. Yeah. Like in Alien, it would be um, Lambert. Um, the like the other female uh-huh, character, uh-huh. she just she gets sprayed in the face with blood in the chest burst scene, and then she just can't handle it the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. Well, that's him in this, which is hilarious. And he's also like the the completely unnecessary but necessary for the eighties like womanizer role. Oh yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, like so, there's a scene where he's like a mechanic or something, and. Um, the basically when the creature is unleashed on the platform that they're on or whatever, the, uh, the deep star, I think is what the actual, right. um, deep star six is what the compound is that they're on. Um, they want to evacuate, but the dude who's in charge of it all, the old white guy, he's like, uh, well, we can't just leave these missiles, like just sitting down here. We have to like take care of them or whatever. And so I had to read this online and it still sounds pretty weird to me, but so Miguel Ferrer's character goes and sits down at a computer and he's like typing into the computer, like the situation. And there's a part where he calls someone on the intercom elsewhere in the deep star six. And he's like, Hey, the computer is asking me for like 
the reason that we're doing whatever we are with the missiles. And the woman on the other end of the intercom is like, I don't know, uh, we're being attacked by something. And the guy's like, okay. And he just types in, um, you know, being attacked or something like that. So the computer is like, oh, if we're being attacked, then we don't want anyone to get a hold of these missiles. So we're going to detonate the missiles. Like the computer can just detonate the missiles on its own. Apparently, (laughs) For the 80s, that was some wild, reckless artificial intelligence making that decision. Uh, Oh, yeah. Um, It's like the artificial intelligence from Alien, which is supposed to be in the future, except it's in the 80s. (laughs) But it really does make it feel like, you know, if there was a Russian submarine coming to take over the Deep Star 6 and steal their missiles, they could just type into the computer like, we're being attacked by the Russians, and then the computer would be like, okay, we're just going to blow up these missiles so no one can have them. Mm-hmm. Right. Which doesn't, I mean, it would make sense, like, should we have an attack sub of our own or something? <laughs> I mean, Yeah. But back to the synopsis, basically they're down there and they're trying to install this missile sled. And um, in order to do so, they, like, accidentally blow open this cavern, which has been sealed underground, underwater, for, like, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. And there just happens to be this giant subterranean sea monster that was trapped down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what to say that it looks like. Um, it almost looks like a, like a frog turtle lizard thing. <laughs> I would say it's like, it almost has like the shell of a crab, but the coloring and like patterning of a turtle. Yeah. And it's got like a weird mouth that opens like in an unusual manner. Um, It's got like a, it's definitely, that's like the crab, like appendage kind of mouth thing. Yeah. And there's like one shot where you kind of see the back of it as it's swimming in the water and it looks like it has a tail, but you really never get a good, no. really clear look at this thing. This thing is, this is strictly a waist up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever needs to protrude from the water to complete a scene, yeah. that's all you see. But yeah, so the thing gets on board and then people start dying. But something that I found really weird and interesting rewatching this movie, like when was the last time you saw this? Oh, it's been a long time. I mean, I would say, like, teenage years at best. Yeah. Um, The last time I watched it, this was one of the very first movies I rented from Netflix back when I was getting the discs because at the time I was like, man, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I'd like to rewatch it. Um, And that was, like, 2007 or Mm 8. So it had been a good 10 years since I'd seen it. Uh, Crazy thing is there's, what, like, 10 people on the deep star six like 10 characters in the movie or so even that's pushing it i'd say eight yeah i mean maybe three of them get killed by the monster and everybody else is just a fucking accident (laughs) because like (laughs) i'm watching the movie and i'm like man all these people are dying Mm -hmm. monster ain't doing shit no this monster's got the easiest job of monstering ever yeah so when the cave collapses um one of the guys, uh, his name was Bersiaga in the movie. Um, he gets like crushed by some stuff and mm-hmm. uh, he, he's like in that room with the woman and he's like waist deep in water and he's like slowly dying. And then the captain and the main dude come to try and rescue the guy who gets crushed and the woman. And in the process, the captain accidentally gets his spine crushed in like an, a mechanical door. Is that the Apone character? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the black guy in the movie. Yep. 
uh, Captain Philip Laidlaw. Oh. Um, and then, like, they're trying to save him, and he's like, no, save yourself, and then he floods the chamber and drowns himself. Uh, and then you mentioned already that the one guy accidentally gets stabbed oh. by, like, the CO2 harpoon. So they have, like, the in one of the many, like, homage-slash-rip-offs of Alien that mm-hmm. this and Leviathan have in them, um, in Alien, one of the they, they don't have guns on board, so one of the only weapons they have is like this long pole that like electrocutes things, like a cattle prod. And in this movie, you know they're underwater, so instead of electricity, they're filled with CO two. And like you poke something and then hit the button, and it just like shoots a big blast of air into them. I don't even remember. Is there a justification why they have these things? Do they use? Not them? that I recall. I don't know. Yeah, I think they just you know. I'm sure they could come up with something if they wanted to. Well, sure, but there's no, like, scene of them, like, I don't know, sticking them into something. No, that wasn't necessary, so it didn't happen. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, so there's a scene where um, one guy, like, accidentally backs into somebody else's, like, uh, air cannon stick, (laughs) and his chest explodes. And then Miguel Ferrer... Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And then Miguel Ferrer's character, he's like the one who's afraid all the time. And he basically takes an escape pod all by himself without decompressing. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, for me, the most memorable scene in the movie over the years is his explosive decompression. For me, I'm going to agree 100%. It's two things. It's that. I always remember. But I forgot. Mm-hmm. I, I did forget the exploding chest part where he sticks yeah, the I guy. Yeah, I forgot that. So that, that actually made me laugh because I instantly <laughs> remembered it as soon as I saw it again. Yeah, but like sitting down to watch the movie, I was like, I can't wait to see the monster again because I kind of remember what it looks like. And then I was like, and I got to see that decompression, baby. Like that's what I'm <laughs> waiting for. Like I know it's coming. That is the scene I always remember. Is just that guy in a in a pod, and as it rises, he's just bleeding from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right, just doesn't listen to anyone. Tell him, don't do that. You're going to explode, and he does it. Yeah. So it's that scene, and then it's when the monster first arrives inside the Deep Star, Mm -hmm. and he bites that uh, uh, deep sea suit in half with the guy still in it. Yeah, and then his like guts are hanging out the bottom of it, which looks pretty good too. That is uh, what's on the box art, Mm -hmm. and it does. Here's a uh, here's an interesting factoid for you. Um, Do you know who that guy is who gets bitten half? I know his face. I know he was like big at the time, but I can't quite think what other '80s movie he was in. Oh no! Were don't you a, don't tell me. Was it? No, go ahead. <laughs> Were you or are you a Seinfeld fan? No. Ah, uh, so you're not going to know. If Brian's listening to this, the guy that gets bitten half by the monster played Lloyd Braun on Seinfeld, and uh, like I, the whole time I was like, "Where do I know this guy from?" And then as soon as I looked it up, I was like, "Oh, obviously." Oh, you see, but, uh, now, now I remember because I had to click. You know, I remember him from a couple Police Academy movies. <laughs> okay. What's his name? Matt McCoy. Matt McCoy. Yeah, it's funny. I have all the characters' names mm-hmm. written down here so I can remember. And then I'm looking at him like, I'm not familiar enough with the movie to remember which character name goes <laughs> right, to. Right. <laughs> so I've kind of screwed myself. But, um, yeah, so that scene looked pretty good. The, you know, the suit bitten in half, which... You already know, you know this, and the, the people listening will soon come to find out that I'm all about, like, suits of armor. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Un- undersea dive suits in any kind of space suit. So, any kind of big, bulky 
exoskeleton like, uh, metal plated thing. That's that's Dex Burgers right. yeah. area of expertise. So oh this uh at least two of these movies crossed that off for me quite well. <laughs> yeah. Um and the well, let's get right into the monster itself. Mm-hmm. So we described it as weirdo crab turtle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not supposed to look like some unearthly thing. It's the, supposed to look like it was like a naturally evolved. Yeah. Like, but I mean, there are some weird looking fucking things deep under the ocean. But I'm, I'm half making this up, but I believe they say it's like some form of a cephalopod or whatever. Yeah, I know they use some kind of fancy word yeah. that didn't really register with me. Um, as we were watching it, or as I was watching it. I don't, I know I looked to see who made this thing, but I don't remember. I have that uh, information. Uh, so originally, the design of the creature was done by Chris Wallace, who did the special effects for The Fly and Gremlins. Mm, okay. But then at some point, he left the production, and he handed it over to a guy named Mark Showstrom, who, I didn't recognize the name, so I looked him up. And I was thinking, you know, the monster in the movie isn't great, so this guy must be some kind of slouch. But no, this dude worked on tons of stuff, including the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies, Prince of Darkness, Videodrome, Evil Dead 2, and From Beyond. Oh, yeah. So, like, and this came in the middle of his career, so it's like, this movie just must not have had a big budget because they barely show the monster, and it's not the most impressive thing when you do see it. Well, that's I think... As a creature design, it looked pretty good. The problem yeah, for me, the problem for me in the movie is, it's there's zero animatronics. Mm-hmm. All it does is like flop around, and by doing that, like its weird mouth things kind of flop around and move. <laughs> yeah, I think it's only got two arms, two big mm-hmm. standard monster arms, but there's no like mouth moving. There's no eyes moving. Like it's mm-hmm. basically just someone's in the water underneath this thing, like. I don't even know. With a bunch know. of rods, like, waving it around. Just waving it around, <laughs> flopping it up and down so it gets some movement. Because I think it looked good mm-hmm. as far as, like, paint and everything. Like, if you, I don't know, whatever, go to the studio and you saw that thing stationary, I think you'd think, well, it's pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. But certainly, once it's in the movie trying to get to do anything, it's uh, pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Um. It's funny, I, I watched a little bit of, because I actually own Leviathan on Blu-ray, so I rewatched a little bit of the special features after I watched that movie, mm-hmm. and um, the special effects for that were done by um, Stan Winston, Right, and um, they said that uh, he like had his choice of Deep Star 6, Leviathan, and the Abyss. Like Basically, James Cameron was saying, I'm going to make this underwater like sci-fi monster movie. Mm-hmm. And then these other people were all like, hey, we're going to beat him to the punch. Like and that. that's how three of them ended yeah. up coming out in the same summer. <laughs> that, that is exactly what happened. Yep. And so Stan Winston apparently like knew that the James Cameron project was going to be huge because you know that that's one of those first movies where they really used like a major cg creation with like that water mm-hmm. the water tentacle thing yeah the water tentacle um and stan winston apparently was like wanting to direct his own movie i guess this is like around the time he made pumpkinhead so he was like i don't want to commit to that huge project so i'll just take on one of these smaller movies and he had like his choice between the two and apparently his whole crew was trying to get him to go with Deep Star 6 but he decided to go with Leviathan instead. Mm, okay. <laughs> Which is interesting. Very. But um 
like I think one of the problems with Deep Star Six, like as I was watching it this time, like you don't really see the monster until the very end, and the monster like doesn't do a whole lot in the movie. But I found this time that I was like actually enjoying the characters. They're all stereotypes, and it it just feels like someone doing their take on the crew from Alien all over again. Right. But I was like interested in the characters, and I guess in my mind I had the image of the whole movie being more like low budget and shitty, but it's actually not bad. Just it needs more monster. Well, I'll say this. I mean, what's this movie? 90 minutes, 99 minutes, Um, something like that. It takes forever for stuff to get going. I felt like watching it. I actually didn't feel, I mean, you're right. Like, like I just got finished saying there's barely any monster and they have to like kill people off by via accident just so something (laughs) can happen. Right. But like, I, I don't know, just this time I, I wasn't like feeling the length or like how boring it was. I was just kind of like into the characters and more so surprised. Like this isn't as bad as I, I thought it was. That's, see, that's, I did not have the similar, I was just like, ugh. Like just from <laughs> lo- loving that so much as a kid mm-hmm. that, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is all, this all feels familiar, but it like, I was so excited to see the monster and to see like those couple scenes that have, are like ingrained in my memory that I definitely got like antsy. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to see any more like a computer array business or I don't, <laughs> I don't want to see like these outside shots of these kind of lousy miniatures. I was like, yeah, like let's get down to business. And it took a, an, an hour, I'd say. Before the monster, the monster even gets inside, gets and even inside. then, you do not see much of it. <laughs> no, um, I think potentially the thing for me is you were coming like you had fond memories from when you were a kid, and you're watching it now, and you're disappointed. Whereas I had that middle viewing that I talked about from back when I right. first got Netflix, mm-hmm. where I think that was probably the time where I watched it and I was all excited and I was disappointed. And I didn't remember a ton from that viewing. I mean, it was 10 years ago. But like I said, I did have this feeling in my mind like this movie is pretty shitty. Like I still have fondness and nostalgia for it, but Mm -hmm. it did not live up to my expectations. So this time around, I think with lower expectations, I enjoyed it a little more. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not great. (laughs) No. But I mean, I own it now. I had to buy it on iTunes (laughs) to watch it. So I have it. I mean, and I'm not going to say. You know, it was more disappointing for me this time around, but I'm sure I'm going to watch it again, too. So, you know, Well, when we do the 100th episode anniversary show of hmm. um, Triple Threat Theater and revisit the first movies we did, you'll have another excuse to watch it. Perfect. That was easy. <laughs> I'm running out of things to say about this one, but I will mention also, do you know who directed this movie? Uh, I don't. The director of this movie is Sean S. Cunningham who co-wrote and directed the first Friday the 13th movie. Oh. And you'd think, like, this guy directed the first Friday the 13th. Like, he must have one hell of a career. If you look at his, like, IMDb profile, I would say the second most well-known movie he's ever directed after Friday the thir- the 13th was Deep Star 6. And most people don't know what the fuck this movie even is. <laughs> it's crazy uh, to me that he, like, did not do anything else of note. <sighs> Wow, yeah, it took him 12 years to do something, and it was extreme close-up, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> can I can I give a hot take right now? Uh-huh, please. Uh, at, 
I'm a fan of the franchise, but I'm not. I don't really care for the first Friday the Thirteenth. Really, Jason's mom. I don't know. Just wasn't a lot of payoff there for me. Not to say it's bad. I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan of the first one over most of the rest. Well, don't get me wrong. I've only seen that one me once, maybe twice, and that was after growing up with like the real heavy Jason ones. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly like uh, those feelings for me. I would watch it again. But um, it doesn't feel like the first one doesn't feel like groundbreaking must watch stuff for me. That's funny because, I mean, I think a lot of people would call that along with Halloween kind of groundbreaking in that genre. But um, not to get too far off into Friday the 13th, but I think like growing up and never being like a big slasher fan, like I've only seen each of the Friday the 13th movies one time and that was all within like the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, just knowing that Jason is, like, a guy who has a hockey mask and, like, cuts people with knives, I think I liked the fact that it the first movie wasn't that. There was, like, a little more of a mystery to it. I knew what it was going in because yeah. I'd heard of it and everything. But Well, in that respect, um, I could see enjoying it that way. I mean, yeah, and you get to watch Kevin Bacon get an arrow through the neck. Right. I mean, so. of course, I'm talking all this shit right now, and I'll probably watch it again and like it, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's definitely not your, like, typical... Jason movie. No, because I sure. just I just like grew up like watching Jason movies and like finding the deaths like gross and funny. So I just feel <laughs> like I didn't get that with the first one. But yeah. Anyway, for another time. Sure. What I one thing I took notes for all the movies. I didn't take much for Deep Star Six just because I didn't really feel the need. But I did notice anyone that watches it and you, Millsy, if you go back, mm-hmm. did you notice the matte painting? In the last scene when they're above the water. I don't know if I did. Well, it's not even a matte painting. It's just the background because they're, you know, at the time you don't notice when I'm a kid. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, they shot this last scene that's above the water in like a water tank. A, ta- a water tank somewhere. <laughs> Man, it's there. There's no dismissing like the background. Whatever was it? fabric, sky, and clouds background. Oh, so you're saying it was like it was actually something painted? It wasn't just like green screen. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, yeah, I shouldn't say matte painting, but it was just a, the painted background that probably you know goes around <laughs> the whole tank is hilarious. Sure. Oh man, give that a second look. I'm curious to see that. I don't think I noticed because <laughs> it's like completely static. Like the whole time, the same cloud is behind them. Like it's pretty funny to see. <laughs> so yeah, Deep Star Six. Yeah, uh, I still do enjoy it. Like I said, I surprisingly enjoyed it more than I expected to this time. But um, yeah, it definitely, if there's one flaw with the movie, it just needs more of the monster. Right. I mean, it's, you'd think they put a good amount of budget into making that thing. They could have got like maybe another scene out of them before, you know. <laughs> yeah, just one or two more like memorable deaths that were caused by the monster. <laughs> right. Because all the best deaths happen, right. aside from the, the dude getting bit in half, all the best deaths are accidents. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it, I mean, sure, it's still a, a monster movie, but it's certainly. In as much as there is a monster in it. Yeah, but it's certainly like a workplace accident movie as well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, shall we move on to our second title? Yes, please. Also released in 1989, Leviathan. Thank goodness you're still alive. 
Well, where you been? Hey, man, you better get your ass out here right now and get it. You hear me right now? Please, Mr. Jones, calm down. We haven't deserted you. Naturally, after we received Dr. Thompson's message, we were concerned, but we never would have deserted you. When are you coming? You said 12 hours, remember? Well, that's the bad news. The hurricane has turned your way. Now, right now, it's on a course of... Just answer the goddamn question. When are you coming? Hopefully within the next 48 hours. 48 hours? I realize you must have gone through hell. Gone? Bitch, we still here! I can't control the weather. Now, rest assured, your SOS was received by the Coast Guard and the Navy, and we will be responding at the earliest, safest opportunity. Just don't promise us nothing. I realize this must sound ridiculous after what you've been through. No shit. But please, try and get some rest. Now, how in the hell are we gonna get some rest? I can't sleep. Can you sleep? Get some rest. Save your breath. Damn, man, 48 hours. Uh, no way. Well, we don't have much choice, do we? So I'll tell you what, I'll take a watch. You all try to get some rest. Hey, I ain't gonna never be able to sleep again in life, ever. Uh, this one directed by George P. Cosmatos. Oh, director yes. of George P. <laughs> George P. Director of uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two, mm-hmm. Cobra, Ooh. and Tombstone. Mm. Interesting. Who unfortunately died in 2004, 2005, I think I saw. Because I was like, oh man, Tombstone? Like, what has he done after that? And it was like a couple things and then that's it. Can I say that this has the best cast? And I'll say why. Please. We've got Robocop. Yes. A Ghostbuster. Winston. A Wet Bandit. (laughs) Yes. And the shitty guy from Batteries Not Included. Which one is that? The, I think he's Martinez in the movie. Um, are you familiar with Batteries Not Included? I've never seen Batteries oh, Not Included. What? <laughs> Should we add that to the list? Come oh, up with two movies that are also about little flying alien robot things uh, or whatever. I've never typed anything faster. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that reference will make more sense later. But anyway. So wait, I'm still I'm so curious which one you're talking about because I don't have anybody written down here that's named Martinez. Uh, God, where is it? Did he, did he die? How did he die? Like he was, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. He was, uh, Cobb. Okay. Hector Elizondo. Yeah. I was thinking of his real name, not Martinez, but, Hmm. um, yeah. Cobb. Well, you know who else it's got? It's got fucking Richard Krenner from Rambo. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. (laughs) You know, it does have a pretty good cast. This was the last one I watched, and I was like, oh, it's that guy. And I couldn't immediately be like, that guy from whatever. It's just, he was that guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Richard Craner is the doc. Yeah, it does have a pretty good cast. I mean, I love Peter Weller. I just love his kind of unusual facial structure. I love his voice. <laughs> I just, I like him. Millsy just, loves a leading man with a weird face. I do. I just think, uh, like, you know, someone with... I don't know, like, it, they could have picked anybody for, like, RoboCop, but they picked a guy who legitimately has, like, a weird face. <laughs> yeah. And like, I he's got know, a I good like... voice. We're going to put a mask on him anyway. <laughs> but he just, I don't know, I like someone who has, like, a cool, recognizable, different kind of distinct look to him a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And he's one of them. Plus, again, I just love his voice. Um, and he's in a lot of movies that I love. Between, sure. like, Naked Lunch and a RoboCop. Um, what's your history with Leviathan? So Leviathan, um, when I was 
in middle school, high school, uh, I was very good friends with someone that I, I know you've heard me talk about before named Ricky. Yes. And uh, him and I first met based on our mutual love of the movie Aliens. I think I was reading like the Aliens um, novelization in class one day and he just walked over and was like, oh, you like Aliens? And that's how we met and became like really good friends. And so I used to go to his house all the time and his parents were divorced. And uh, so like every now and then I would spend the whole weekend with him at his father's house. And uh, he would like take us to the video store and like we would just rent something. And we both were into monster movies and we were just looking. And I remember like we were in the video store, like Blockbuster, and his dad was like, come on, guys, you got to pick something. We got to go. And we just like settled on Leviathan, like no real reason except, oh, we haven't seen this. And it's like a monster movie. And that was the first time I saw it. Um, nothing much more special than that, but mm-hmm. it was just like, a, hey, we want a monster movie. Let's go for this and hope for the best. And I remember the first time being pretty disappointed again in like the, the look of the monster and how little you actually see of it. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Well, this one's interesting for me because... Yeah, no, no question being like, yes, I've seen Leviathan. Like I saw that when I was real young. Like I remember parts of it vividly, like Peter Weller and come to find out while I was watching this that I believe I only got to a certain point a number of times and never watched the rest of it. Really? Well, yeah, because I vividly remember when they watch the like Russian sea captain's VHS video. Uh-huh. And you know, like the door opens behind him and the video cuts out. Mm-hmm. I remember that completely vividly. Dude, I'm starting to think that maybe I saw this one when I was real young and it maybe that scared the shit out of me and I never watched the rest because I did not <laughs> remember a single bit of the rest of that movie after that. Wow. Point. It was like, I, mean, what, I couldn't see. That's a thing. Like if you'd asked me, Oh, you've seen Leviathan? Yeah. What do you remember? I probably would have said that scene. (laughs) Maybe Peter Weller and I probably would have drawn a blank. Mm -hmm. But chalking that up to being so long since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. But I know I've seen it more than once. I'm pretty sure that that was another (laughs) like HBO taped over movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe you guys just taped over it after that part and you could never finish it. I don't remember. I did not remember (laughs) a goddamn thing after that. That's interesting. Dude, please. (laughs) I mean, this is one of those movies for me where, so when I first saw it, um, it was probably like my like eighth grade year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch it again after that for years and years. And then like two, three years ago, Shout Factory put out a Blu-ray of it and I bought it just because again, like first time I saw it, wasn't crazy about it, but I'm enough of a monster movie nut that when I saw it, I was like, oh, I have like fond memories of watching that the first time, even if it wasn't a great movie. Mm-hmm. And um, like I've only seen it three times now, I believe, including this most recent viewing. And similar to Deep Star Six, like it's got a lot of potential, but it's not great. And it doesn't have like like I always talk about with monster movies and like horror movies in general, like there's always a standout scene for me. Like in the first alien, it's the chest burster scene in aliens. It's Ripley versus the, the queen alien and the power loader. Um, in from beyond it's when, uh, the uh, homeboy sucks out, uh, the director's wife's eyeball <laughs> with his mouth. Um, 
And even in Deep Star 6, like I said, for me, that moment is the uh, explosive decompression scene because it's like different and it's bloody. This movie, I honestly can't think of one. Like there's no scene for me that is a standout. And I feel like I watched this movie and then a month later, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's just like, it's, it's, it's most of the way there, but it's just missing those things that make it special. And maybe it's just that yet again, it feels so similar to alien because it's like, um, Oh, this one, even, um, the production designer was Ron Cobb who did a a production design on the first alien movie. I thought this was the production design. This was really good. Yeah. It looks really good. Um, until you get to some of the monster stuff, which again, they just don't show a lot of, which is unfortunate because it's. Stan Winston, but apparently he had lots of uh, fights with um, the director and like the director couldn't make up his mind what he wanted. And I mean, it's like a mutating, ever shifting thing, kind of like the thing anyway, because they kind of stole that concept, too. Yes. Big time of like bodies morphing together and things like that. But like apparently the director just could never make up his mind. So it ended up being kind of a mishmash. But it's like great cast movie looks pretty good. But it doesn't have like a lot of really memorable kills and the monster no. doesn't look great. So it just kind of fades from my memory after I watch it. As crazy as it sounds, I feel like you see more of the monster in Deep Star 6 than you do in Leviathan. It's probably about the same. Because I was trying to, you know, I was like kind of let down that it, at first I thought it was just like the thing. It's just like a melding of people together with some other organism like slugging around and like not being as good as the thing either. (laughs) Um, There were a couple, a couple points I thought were pretty good. Like uh, there was that random, like uh, disembodied leg that started like growing a mouth and some kind of tentacle thing out of it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty gross and, and pretty good looking, you know, the uh, shot of the chick, um, like laying on top of, uh, What's that his name? Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern and like their bodies melding together. Yep. Reminded me, of course, of the thing, like the oh yeah. The thing the 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 thing, no pun intended, that they bring back from the Norwegian base and uh mm-hmm. Wilford Brimley's like poking at that has like the two faces melded right. together or whatever. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um yeah, th- at one point like Daniel Stern's got like some big open, disgusting hole in his arm, like some oozy hole. Mm-hmm. Uh that looks pretty good. Again, not as good as like other things, but for what was in the movie, like that seems like it was a decent shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember at what point there's like someone's hand opens up and there's teeth. That's your boy from uh, Batteries Not Included. Oh, when cool. Hector Elizondo gets like slashed by the the monster, it's all like, you know, genetic alteration. And like, you know, if you get the cells in your bloodstream, then you turn into it. So, yeah, there is that cool moment where he's, like, reaching for Richard Crenna and he's got the hole in his hand. You know what? I messed up here. Hector Elizondo is not the guy. I'm thinking of uh, Michael Carmine plays uh, DeJesus. DeJesus. He's the one. Or DeJesus, I think is his name. He's the one from uh, Batteries Not Included. I know. I remember Hector Elizondo now. But, uh, yeah, D. DeJesus is the one who gets killed by, like, the big eel-looking thing. Right. So, yeah, with all that, like, melding together grossness and thing rip off, but then eventually it's got a fish face. 
Yeah, it almost that, seems like... Well, why don't you go ahead and give a little plot synopsis and the concept behind this one? Um, so this one, same kind of idea. It's undersea mining operation. You know, got your standard uh, crew underwater. Um, while at one point they're uh, they're doing whatever, and someone stumbles across a Soviet shipwreck called the Leviathan, and that is the wet bandit Daniel Stern who <laughs> comes back after like getting lost in this ship. He comes back with a safe that he carries off of the boat somehow underwater. Well, he's in his like big diving suit thing. Like maybe, maybe okay. it's like, yeah. Okay. We'll say mechanized and he can lift that shit. shit. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Um, they bring that back to their, uh, place and they open it up. What's in there, Millsy? There's, uh, the captain's video. Yeah. There's a bunch of files, files about crew members that are all deceased. Um, Daniel Stern is a drunk, so of course he takes the flask that's in there as well. It must be said that in the last movie, it was Miguel Ferrer who was like the sex crazed like womanizer. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's Daniel Stern, yes, who plays Buzz Six Pack <laughs> Parish. <laughs> you got it. So, in you know, another example of someone in a movie making a horrible, horrible decision. <laughs> He decides to drink, you know, scuttled Russian vodka out of some <laughs> random guy's flask. That he found at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, that's a guy. I'm that much of a drunk. This is a great idea. <laughs> and it's their last night before they, right. uh, they're they scheduled to go back up to the surface. Yeah. I mean, this couldn't be any worse decision. Yeah, like, wait 24 hours, you can have all the fucking vodka you want, but I guess... That's what being a drunk is like. <laughs> you know, this movie's chock full of bad decisions because that happens. What's he? He gets sick. He ends up with uh, some like a rash or some lesions on his back. Uh, then he dies. Mm-hmm. And Robocop and the doc don't tell anyone because they don't want to panic anyone, but they just kind of like leave him in the sick bay and let people think he's sleeping. Because they're like, yeah, we have one day left. We don't want to get quarantined down here. <laughs> right. He's like, yeah, whatever kind of like protocols they have in place, they're just forget they forget it. We want to get home. So yep. let's let's in fact, you know, let other people get sick so we can get out of here. But it must be said that later on, Richard Krenna as the doctor, he does like um like launch the escape pods with no one in them right. when he realizes that this is like a contamination thing. Right. He's trying to keep it, like, locked up tight, but Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Weller's just like, man, fuck it, I want to get out of here. I've been down here for 89 days. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. And, yeah, like, they they mutate because they find out that from, like, files, or maybe it's from that video that they watch of the uh, Russian sea captain that they had been performing some kind of genetic experiments on the crew of the Leviathan by, like, hiding, like, putting doses of whatever chemicals they were testing in the vodka and feeding it to the crew. Mm -hmm. And then that mutates them. And then basically they assume that the Russians uh, sunk that ship to dispose of the evidence and the American crew just happened to stumble upon it. There's a great scene where like uh, Robocop and the doctor finally 
like people know that the uh, Daniel Stern and one of the girls has died. I think so. They're trying to they're trying to like flush the body bag. Yeah, they they don't well, they want to get the contaminant out of the uh, out of the the facility that they're in. So they put it in a body bag and they're taking it to like the room where they exit and enter the ship in like the the big um, like undersea suits. Right. But then that, you know, goes awry, of course, because the bag starts moving. That was a cool scene because it's like Peter Weller and Richard Crenna are the only two that know what's kind of what's going on. So they're trying to dispose of the body and just be like, we want to get this contamination off the ship. And nobody else has seen what's inside the body bag, but it starts moving because this creature is alive in there. Mm-hmm. So Hector Elizondo is like, no, they're alive. We have to open the, the fucking bag. And then, of course, it rips <laughs> open and he gets scratched. And right. that's and when all hell breaks And loose. immediately, you know, right then, like, all right, he's done for. So let's yeah. see what he's going to turn into. <laughs> um, here's something I thought was weird is like, it, it's just another example of like, you have no idea what this creature is capable of. It's not very well defined. So, like, at one point, the mutated leg that you were talking about spits out this, like, worm thing that ends up killing um, De Jesus, And it's like, Hector Elizondo is like, De Jesus, I see that you're being attacked by this worm thing. Stay here. I'm going to go get help. Or no, no, it's uh, Ernie Hudson, I think. And he, like, locks him in this room, like, closes this big metal door. And then when he comes back, there's just a giant fucking hole ripped in the metal. And it's like, okay, (laughs) this thing is really fucking strong. And then later on, their big plan is we're going to flush it out into the ocean as though it can't just rip through the hull of the ship that we're in. Like, that plan makes no sense. (laughs) Again, just totally irresponsible. Just want to get home. They don't care. Whatever this thing is, they're going to flush it out. Yeah, that's just bad writing, though. Just, you know, they didn't Mm -hmm. set a very good set of guidelines for themselves. (laughs) It is kind of weird, too, because once after you learn, like, about the Leviathan and they were, like, experimenting on the crew and, like, that makes sense as far as, like, the, you know, like, people melding together and all that gross shit. But then why does the thing develop a fish head? Yeah, I, I mean, I could I could make up reasons, but they never explain it. Again, you, you barely see it. Yeah. You barely see that fish face. Like, I was thinking... Like, it, did it just look that bad so they really didn't want anyone to see it? I think so. Because it, cause it didn't look great. I mean, again, as far as, like, creature design, I think Deep Star 6 looked better. Yeah. Um, another little tidbit from the Leviathan special feature that I was watching is, uh, um, I think it was Alec Gillis, one of, the, one of the guys that worked for Stan Winston, mm-hmm. was saying that, <clears throat> so they were, like, really behind and over budget getting the monster made. And uh, there was a completely different group of people working on um, building the uh, like undersea diving suits, like those big metal things. Mm -hmm. And so Stan Winston basically decided, even though his people were behind in making the monsters to take on that extra work and it drove his people crazy. But his reasoning for it was, well, if we take on this extra work, then they'll give us more time to finish. And then we can use that time to work on the monsters. And all of his crew is like, but we're going to have to use that extra time. They give us to make these like underwater, like diving suit things now. And apparently Stan Winston was just like, get to work. (laughs) I mean, you kind of see the logic in that, but yeah, that just means, yeah, it's like, okay, we're behind in project a, 
So if we take on project B, we'll get more time because now we have two projects. But you've also just doubled your workload. Mm-hmm. And like all of that stuff that I heard about, like him arguing with the uh, the director and uh, like like over the design of the creature. And there was apparently one point where he actually had to take him out into the hallway and just yell at him, like, make up your fucking mind. Oh, wow. Um, and the fact that it sounded like Stan Winston already had his heart set on going and doing Pumpkinhead. And was it almost feels like, you know, even though Stan Winston's name is on this thing, that his heart wasn't fully in it or something. I believe it. Which it is was. a shame because sure. it's like the one Stan Winston thing I can think of that's not really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like the, even towards the end when it's like more of a fully developed fish head thing and it's still got like people's faces like just, you know, randomly throughout the torso. was like yeah. just a, It's just a weird. But weird like still decision. alive, like the one is on there and does that stereotypical like kill me thing. Yeah, yeah. it's just it didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, Not that it has to either. But. And it's, it's a case of like... You know, you want to keep, I like ideally, if you're going to follow the alien method, like you want to like keep your creature kind of mysterious looking. But I think that by the end of the alien, the first time you see it, and this is just like a big uh, estimation because I'm already so fucking familiar with that creature. But I think if you were to watch Alien, you could kind of like after your first viewing, you could kind of sit down and attempt to draw like an outline of the creature. Like, you know, it has two legs and two arms and a tail and the big long head with the second mouth. Like maybe you can't get all the other details, right? But with this fish creature, like the final form of it, I've seen this movie a couple times now. I just watched it. If you asked me to draw it, I could maybe do the upper half, but I don't, did it have legs? Did it, was it just like tentacles at the bottom? I have no idea. I'm going to say that they didn't build a bottom because you never really (laughs) saw it. There yeah, was one. Like, there's one weird scene in like uh, in the base where there's like just like lots of pipes or something. It looks like just you know there's like a real like weird looking like reptilian body. Do you remember mm-hmm. that part? And, yeah, but, I do. But that you never see that again either. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's the only time you saw anything close to a full body shot of anything. Yeah, but still, you never see the bottom. <laughs> right. And it's just got like tentacles with mouths on it, but. Like, whereas The Thing and John Carpenter's The Thing, and again, this is a case of I've seen the movie like a billion times and I love it and I know a lot about it, but um, you do get the feeling that that thing is like ever-changing. It never looks the same multiple times when you see it. It just can be any shape. Right. And this thing is kind of the same concept, but it's almost like you don't really get that. It doesn't come across that well. Because it feels like there's like three different looks for it. And even though you don't get to see a lot of it, you can still recognize like, oh, these last couple scenes, it looks the same every time you see it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know, just, again, it feels like kind of a cool idea for a creature. But like if they'd pushed that whole like fi- fish mixed with man further instead of just like a fish head with human body parts sticking out of it. Right. I don't know. It just like that part with the severed leg and then the thing grows out of it. Yeah. Like that could have, that would be cool if it just like, uh, takes, you know, takes people's bodies to like incubate and then something comes out of it. Mm -hmm. Like that's cool. I mean, that could be something, but yeah, as far as like being a fish head slug thing, but then still (laughs) has like human faces attached to it. was just, just lame it just wasn't yeah. wasn't cool like at no point did i see any of that and i was like oh that looks awesome you know mm-hmm. 
And there's, uh, you know, not that many, that not much in the way of memorable deaths in this one either. Uh, well, I guess um, De, De Jesus is okay. Like, there were some cool shots of it, like, wrapping up his arm and biting into his midsection. Yeah. But it's never, like, a full kill. And then, like, when yeah. when Hector Elizondo attacks Richard Crenna with his mouth in his hand, like, that's a Ugh. cool th- image, but you never see it actually happen like mm-hmm. the next time you see Richard Crenna he's not Richard Crenna anymore I would say I think uh, Ernie Hudson gets shortchanged the worst <sighs> he survives all the way until the end and then dies after they've escaped <laughs> yeah makes it all the way to the end somehow after everything that happens in this movie they still th- they throw in a shark attack yeah which felt very half-assed like the sharks oh. come and then they leave Completely half-assed. And then, of course, the monster shows up again. Um, How did it get out of that? uh, Well, okay, so here's something. Like, this is a typical monster, just horror movie thing, where you think it's all over and then the monster comes back at the very end, or the killer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, in Deep Star 6, I don't remember. I feel like it's more plausible that the monster escapes in that one. Um, do they, does the facility blow up in deep star six? I don't remember. Uh, I I think so. I think it implodes. But in this one, like when Peter Weller is escaping and that platform that lowers, it looks like you watch the fish head get crushed and like all that blood comes out. Millsy, you 100% see that fish head get stuck and squished in that thing. Which is fine. If we're going to take the John Carpenter's The Thing approach that it's like this organism that every piece of it is separate mm-hmm. and it can like reconstitute itself. But uh, like at the end, at the end end, when it comes back, it's got the same fish head. Yeah. Like if this was John Carpenter's The Thing, part of it would get crushed and all the blood would come out. And the next time you see it, sure, it's still alive, but yeah. it's like a different look. Yeah, now it's like a tuna head or something. But this one, it just felt like they used the same model or whatever because they didn't have the budget to make a different one. And it one, just makes it confusing yeah. because you're thinking to yourself, oh, I saw that head get crushed already, and here it is again. Totally. And then when when it's topside and it's light out, you barely see it again. And, like, Ernie Hudson dies by, uh, I don't know, flopping around. It looks like it drowns him, like pushes his head underwater. Maybe it's like one of the weirdest shot and cut scenes where mm-hmm. he kind of flops around. You never really. Sh- it's just like quick shots of a monster's body and Ernie Hudson and monster's body and Ernie Hudson, and then he just floats away or he sinks. Do you even see his body afterwards? Like I thought, like Peter Weller was going back. I thought to try and save Ernie Hudson, and then he just chucks a grenade in his general direction or whatever the hell that thing was. Well, please. Well, first, don't forget, he says, say hi, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And then he does like a basketball free throw shot. Yeah. With, like some weird grenade directly in the fish mouth and it explodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, looks terrible when he does his little free throw oh, shot. Wretched. And I mean, that's what makes me think that maybe this this creature did look that bad because it's there's never a shot of more than a two seconds of the thing at any time. Yeah. And it just looks rough. And it's just crazy to think like it's, it's like a classic Hollywood story now that when they were making predator, they were filming the movie and they weren't happy with the way the creature looked. So then they called Stan Winston studios and were like, Hey, we need a new monster from the ground up design and everything, not just built Mm -hmm. in 
uh, like five, six weeks or something. And then Stan Winston Studios delivers the goddamn Predator, which is like such an iconic, cool looking thing. Yes. And then this movie, like they were actually hired on to do and you just end up with this thing. I don't know, this mm-hmm. fish head. <laughs> And you've seen what the original Predator looked like, right? Yeah, it did not look good. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and just like conceptually like, okay, so Stan Winston redesigns the creature from the movie Predator, like the monster physically. Mm-hmm. But presumably that original one that you see in the behind the scenes footage that looks terrible was still supposed to be like the hunter from another planet. But like it doesn't even register as like something that could have taken the place of the predator within right. the, the concept and plot of that film. hundred percent. So weird. Ugh. Just vile. But yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't Leviathan. It's another movie where I have some nostalgia for it. I mean, even though I knew I wasn't a big fan, I bought it anyway on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've watched it a couple times now, uh, since I bought it. And, I will continue to rewatch it and probably just be vaguely disappointed by it, but it just feels like there's potential there that is not realized. Vaguely disappointed, the Ryan Miller story. (sighs) That would be a great title for my autobiography. (laughs) Either vaguely disappointed or vaguely disappointing. Either way, I think would probably work satisfactorily. Fair enough. Yeah, anything else for Leviathan before we move on? No, we'll circle back. All right. Uh, Finally, jumping... Uh, 10 years into the future, mm-hmm. um, we are also reviewing Deep Rising from 1998. Yes. What the hell are these goddamn things? I'm beginning to fear that our friends here may be some kind of strange offshoot of the Akeo Toya family. Oh, the Toya family. <laughs> and to think I was starting to worry. At 4,000 feet, the Toya about as long as the pencil with bodies about the size of a golf ball. But those at 20,000 feet have been found to eat full-grown sharks at 30 or 40,000 feet. Well, you do the math. This is, uh, this is not good. Are we talking some kind of mutated sea monsters here? Who gives a shit what they are? Just tell us how to kill these motherfuckers. The Atoya are very crafty. They hide in burrows and catch their victims with spiny tentacles and then they, they crush them between massive jaws. Yeah, and then they eat you, right? No, they drink you. They drink you alive, sucking all the fluids out of a body before excreting the skeletal remains. All right, that's it. Lesson's over. Here's the plan. Hey! I'm still giving the orders around here, mister. You stay here and give all the orders you want. I'm getting back up to my boat, cutting it loose, and getting the hell out of here. Yeah, man, I second that motion. Mind if I tag along? Feel free. So you had not seen this before? Correct. This is one I do not remember specifically the first time I saw it. Definitely wasn't in the theater, but I feel like probably within a year of the movie coming out on, like, video, I saw it. And this is another movie that uh, my friend at the time, Ricky, and I both really liked. And it's a movie that, as the years went by, it feels like it's kind of forgotten. If people do remember it, it's kind of a laughing stock. I mean, it's one of the kind of early movies to have, like, a lot of CG for the monster. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it doesn't take itself completely seriously. It's pretty goofy and corny. Um 
It's directed by Steven Summers, the guy that made the first two Mummy movies and Van Helsing <laughs> with right. uh, Hugh Jackman. Makes sense. But uh, I just... I've always liked the characters, specifically Treat Williams as the main guy Finnegan, and I've always loved Kevin O'Connor, who plays uh, his buddy Pantucci, mm-hmm. who's like always make cracking jokes and has that voice that's constantly cracking. Um, <laughs> I love that guy as a character actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff like Virtuosity and Chill Factor, which you know I'm a huge fan of. Yes. Um, so I always liked them. I always loved for some reason, even though it's so simple. Um, Treat Williams' catchphrase, which is now what? Mm-hmm. Like, for a long time, like, I used to say that back but when I had a cell phone that was like, this is a long time ago, like a flip phone, that I didn't know how to, like, put, if I could even put my own uh, sound effects and ringtones on it. I always talked about how I wanted my text message alert to be now what <laughs> from Treat Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think the monster designs are cool. Um it just I don't know, just a fun, silly movie. Um I'll say that I can appreciate your love of this movie because it I did not care for it. Oh. I uh I just gotta be honest, Millsy. I'm the exact opposite. I thought I hated all the characters. Oh, you didn't I, like you didn't like Tooch Pantucci? I, I hated him. I didn't think oh. there was a single likable character in the whole movie. Oh, man. And that they're all horrible people. Finnegan is such a lovable loser, though. Dude, I I thought that was the worst casting of a leading man ever. Well, do you know who they originally asked to play the role? I do. It's Harrison Ford. I Harrison fucking Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Harrison Dude. Ford in this movie? I just not a Treat Williams fan at all. It just oh. You know, rather than, you know me, I don't like to just sit and shit on stuff forever. Um, you are potentially the most positive person I know. Oh, I try. Things I did like. Um, there were some good, well, just like kind of fun, practical effect things they did. Mm-hmm. Like before you see the monster itself, like all that stuff with like, like the, the hallways are busting. The hallway full of horror. <laughs> yeah. I liked quite a bit of that. Um, and then when you actually do see like the tentacle, it's got like that toothy snake head kind of thing. Yeah. I was a big fan of that. So I thought that was way cool. Um, you know, it, it came at that time where like early, well, not super early, like CGI that's like still like looks rough in today's standards. Yeah, for sure. But, um, I was the lighting ha- is just all wrong on yeah, things oh, in the oh, middle yeah, of scenes just, and. It just doesn't match at all, but um, I was happy to see that there was still some uh, practical stuff that looks like wasn't easy. It looked like you know there's some some skill involved there. Well, do you know who did the special effects for this movie? I don't. Uh, the computer effects were all done by ILM, and the practical effects were done by Rob Botin from The Thing. Oh, well, there you go. That makes sense. Yeah, because that hallway with so basically plot of this movie is there's this huge ocean liner like this new giant fucking massive eccentric cruise ship called the Argonauticus and uh, there's this which is a great name yeah uh, there's this guy he's played by a dude named Anthony Held Healed H-E-A-L-D I'm not sure he's one of these like that guy actors like you've seen him play an asshole in a ton of movies but you don't remember his name (laughs) um so he's like this dude who designed this big extravagant boat that's only like 
only the most rich people in the world can afford a ticket on this like giant cruise ship thing. And it's on its maiden voyage. And he had realized, oh man, this giant cruise ship, even with all these super rich people paying to like go, come on the cruise ship, will never be able to sustain the ship because it just costs too much money. So he hires this crew of like international mercenaries to come rob the ship and then like they're going to sink it with these like missiles that they're bringing along so that they can he can collect the insurance money on the ship and then split it with them and the uh the mercenary guys have hired just like a little kind of tugboat captain played by Treat Williams um to like ferry them out they ha- like his whole thing is he doesn't ask questions um about like where you want to go or why you want to go so he's like the perfect guy they're going to go out there. They're going to rob the ship. But when they get there, they discover that um, the ship has been attacked by this, like, again, it's, like, supposed to be based on, like, a real sea creature. But it's, like, normally they're really small. And this is a giant version of it with just, like, tentacles everywhere. It's kind of like a yeah. octopus with tentacles that are endlessly long that can just go anywhere in the ship. Yeah. And they all have... Miles long. Yeah, they all have crazy mouths on the end. And where they all meet, it's, like... I don't even know what to call the head. Uh, yeah, good, it, good luck. It looks like some kind of like mutated pig monster. <laughs> no, not a fan of that. Like when it's just one giant monster that can stretch throughout the whole boat. I didn't love that. I'll be honest. Uh, but the little the little tentacle snake things I did think were cool. I think it's a neat idea that like they're all attached to the same thing because it's kind of like, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of like in Aliens. You know, you've already seen Alien. And you know that, like, it has eggs and whatever. But then in the second movie, they broach the subject of, like, well, where are the eggs coming from? And, like, the whole movie is build up to the very end. Like, audiences that first time seeing the movie, even if they were fans of the first film, had no idea what the camera was going to turn around and see when Ripley steps into that room full of eggs. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, that has always, you know, the monster looks kind of shitty in Deep Rising when you see the whole thing. But it's kind of like that build up of, like, oh, man, where are all these things coming from? And I kind of always liked that. Mm -hmm. But uh, so back to the point. um, So it's like mercenaries fighting these tentacle creatures in the ship. And like the thing that these creatures do is they don't digest things normally. They'll like swallow you and then they'll like, I guess their stomach acid or whatever will liquefy you. And then they'll like drink you dry and then like spit out your bones with like just pink stuff hanging off of it. And that scene in the hallway Every time I see it, I'm like, man, that's so gross looking. Just all the body parts yeah. everywhere. Super gross. Yeah. Um, you know what uh, actor I was excited to see? Which, again, you know, possibly I would be the only one that was excited. Was Could- uh, Trevor Goddard as T-Ray. Uh, that's not who- the one I was expecting you to say. Who? who what do you know him <laughs> from? He is Kano from the Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which is a movie near and dear to my heart. And I mean, as soon as I heard him say three words, I said, Kano. <laughs> and then he looks, he looks so much like Colin Farrell. You would think he's like Colin Farrell's like older stepbrother or something. That's funny. I, yeah, I, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I know completely random, but sure enough, all I had to hear was just a couple seconds of him talking. I was like, motherfucking Kano's in this movie. Yes. 
This movie has a couple of interesting people in it. So already mentioned Treat Williams. Um, the female lead is Famke Jansen, right around the same time as uh, Goldeneye and the Faculty, uh, and mm-hmm. like right before the first X Men movie. So prime time for Famke. Um, it's also got Jason Fleming who is in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, and he also played Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. There's a great part, uh, I, I took a note of this, where I, him in particular, he's kind of like skeevy and gross, and he does this like, <laughs> he does this like creepy, like licks his finger and arms a torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just found unsettling, and I was ugh. It just added off. to me not liking any of these people, all <laughs> unlikable people. He is the guy in this movie, as I was mentioning, maybe when we were talking about Deep Star Six, there's always a character who just can't handle it. And he's that person in this movie. He's just losing his mind the whole time. And you just know he's going to get it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but like his acting, I like him in general. He's in a ton of stuff. He's in Kick-Ass. He's in X-Men First Class. He plays Azazel. Um, he's in a ton of things. But in he's this- Azazel? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's oh, him. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in this, the scene where they're, like, in the kitchen, and he's, like, trying to convince everybody that they should stay and hold up there, mm-hmm. he is overacting so fucking hard, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I've never been able to pronounce this guy's name correctly. Jimon uh, G- G- Hansu? Uh, yeah, I think Jamon. Is kind of how you say his first name. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, he's in this also, which is probably one of the earlier things I ever saw him in. Yes, maybe like a year or two later, he was in Gladiator, I think. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's like there are the pinnacles of like monster movies for me, stuff like The Thing and Aliens. And then there are the movies that are just like kind of forgettable garbage. They're are a billion of them. And then there's movies that are in the middle. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one of those movies for me. Um, just because it is so late nineties, which is an era that I have a lot of nostalgia for. It is just so corny and like just bad jokes, (laughs) but like they put a smile on my face Mm -hmm. and this one has to be nostalgic for me. Like if I watch this for the first time now, I do not know how I'd feel about it. I I can't imagine you'd you'd love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of movies like this that I love that I'm nostalgic for. Yeah, um, it's probably. I think it's good that we had this did these movies first because it does uh, like something like this. Because if like something you enjoy, something I've never seen, mm-hmm. and to me it just like again, it's a big thing is I don't like the characters and it just feels super dated. Where you like. How it's dated. Yeah, it's and it is a thing of like if I saw another movie similar to this from the same time period for the first time, I probably wouldn't like it. But I I like how dated this feels because I'm so used to it and it like makes Mm -hmm. me feel like in a comfortable, safe space when I watch it, I guess. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh but yeah, I don't know. Just um it is like another kind of aliens clone mixed with a ton of other horror movies and monster movies you've seen before. But um. one um, last note I have on this one mm-hmm. is maybe you've noticed that they created like a weird gun for everyone to have. Yeah. Which seems like a weird decision to make mm-hmm. for this movie. It's like kind of like a, th- 
I don't know, like a three barrel like machine gun. It might be just... more barrels than that. <laughs> Yeah, like I think it's almost supposed to be like a a mini mini gun, <laughs> like a hand, like a with a trigger, like a yeah, like the size rifle. of an assault rifle, like an M sixteen, but with the like spinning multi barrels of yeah. like a a chain gun or a Gatling yeah, gun. Yeah, it just it felt like a super weird decision, you know, like add, adding to the budget. I think it was just their attempt to make the. Uh, the mercenary guys seem like that much more badass and like we're so well equipped for this. And then of course, once they come up against it, they're not right. I mean, how many movies like action movies and stuff have made up their own like cool, badass, like machine guns, probably a lot more than you'd think, but yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, see, it's tough. Cause uh, there, I don't know. I wouldn't say that personally, I would not say that there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the iconic ones, of course, you know, uh, Star Wars, Blade Runner, Alien, or Aliens, rather. Mm -hmm. I guess I see what you're saying, though. Like, this takes place in a quote-unquote real modern world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, any other, like, setting or time, you'd be like, okay. But this just, everything was supposed to be quote-unquote normal. Mm -hmm. I think Steven Summers, the director, just thought it would be cool. Yeah. I'm sure that's all it came down to. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, just, like, the regurgitation, like, the scene where they they like shoot the tentacle and then like a body falls out of it and he's still alive. <laughs> I love yeah. that. And uh-huh. like, sure. The CG is bad now. Cause he's like half decomposed and he's walking around and you can tell that they were just showing off the special effects of the time. Like when it does that close up of the side of his face as he like opens his mouth and you see all the tendons stretching and it looks bad. Now mm-hmm. it looks like a PlayStation two game or something. Right. But at the time, like, I remember when this movie was new, how awesome the special effects were. Now, obviously, I see all the seams, and there are many of right. them. But, right. Um, just, you know, this was that era when CG was just, like, now everything is CG'd constantly in movies. Stuff yeah. that you wouldn't even think is necessary. Like, I remember watching, like, special features on YouTube about the first season of the Daredevil TV show on Netflix and how, like, every single shot out a window is, like, green screened in. Oh, really? Yeah, like every fucking cityscape background, like none of that is real. They CG'd in all that stuff. And it's like, how unnecessary does that seem? But, you know, that's what they do. Um, Like all that stuff was on a soundstage? Yeah. Wow. Either that or they'd like blacked out the windows or like greened out the windows in like an actual room in a building so that they could put in the background that they wanted. That's weird. Probably so they could film like during the day for night scenes and stuff. Either way, the, the point is like this movie, though, was made in an era before everything was CG'd. And it feels like ILM was just like, hey, we're one of the only people doing this right now. Like, we did fucking Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything's going to be CG. So did you know that the uh, the Argonauticus, the giant cruise ship that they're on, not a miniature, not a real boat, completely made up in CG? No. <laughs> yeah, right? So you'd never know, but... Wow. Um, yeah, I thought it was a miniature. Yeah, it was just like CG overkill at the time. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I always like the design of the creatures and I cannot stress enough how much I love uh, Kevin O'Connor's character, Pantucci. Uh, I just love that oh, guy. I love that character. Like, I, I This happens with me a lot that like maybe it's even 90s stuff like uh, character wise. Like I c- could not want to get rid of him more than anything. Like he was like <laughs> grading to me. Yeah. Which happens with certain movies like Beloved. Like, I don't like uh, Clerks. 
because I can't stand Dante and Randall. <laughs> really? Which, yeah. I did and not know this about you. Mm-hmm. So between uh, your your boy Tooch there and everyone's dad, Treat Williams, I was just kind of, <laughs> I said, I couldn't, I couldn't uh. do it anymore. I was like, everyone's like a depraved piece of trash character and, Everyone is I just mean, a stereotype. Like all the fucking mercenaries and all their lingo and stuff is. Oh yeah. And like so, they're handed these new awesome like machine guns, and they haven't used them yet. And they go inside, and there's that typical scene where like, I think somebody knocks over something, and a couple of the mercenaries just spin around and start shooting, even though there's nothing oh, to shoot at. And yes. then Treat Williams is like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, enough already! Stop shooting!" And they all stop. And then two of the the like soldier guys. I think uh, one of them might be Trevor Goddard and the other one might be Jimin Hansu. They like slowly turn and look at each other and then smile. And then they just start shooting again just because <laughs> it's fun to use these crazy new guns, like mm-hmm. completely obnoxious, but completely. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting to hear an opinion of someone who hasn't seen it before, but I guess this one's just too burrowed too deep in the nostalgia banks. And that's the thing. And that's, We'll probably see more of this as the episodes go on. I don't knock you a bit for it because <laughs> there's, there's plenty of examples for me. Like I said, I mean? most optimistic person I know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, mm. I mean, I could say more about Deep Rising, but we'll sure we'll call it there. Mm. So, um, yeah, well, tell tell the people what we plan, how we plan to close out these episodes. All right. So. Normally what I would do is give things a star rating. That's what Jesse and I have always done on the Sidetrack podcast. I love a good star rating because it's just a quick, easy way to get across how you feel about a movie. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can start getting into nitpicking and why you pick that star rating. I know you're not a big fan of star ratings. And Uh, I think, haven't you said before that you just like, uh, like noodle over them too much and that can't make up That's my thing. I... The way you describe it makes total sense. For me, I just can't, like, it's almost too much. There's too much possibility (laughs) with five stars. Yeah. But then also, you know, I just thought, new podcast, let's take a new approach to this. So I actually, this new approach, I do love. Even though this is our (laughs) thing, I do love this. This is almost perfect for me. Well... Uh, so we're going to do our own version of Mary Fuck Kill. Mm-hmm. So instead of rating each movie individually, every single episode we do, however many we end up doing, even if we love all three movies that we review, you got to pick one to buy, one to borrow, and one to burn. So your favorite, middle, and least favorite movie of the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to go first? I will. I am going to say, and this is tough, but hey, we mm-hmm. wouldn't be doing it if it was easy. <laughs> uh, buy Leviathan, borrow Deep Star Six, and burn Deep Rising. <laughs> oh, it hurts. Um, <laughs> ah, man. You know what's funny? I think I'm going to buy Deep Rising. I already know where this is going. <laughs> I'm going to borrow Deep Star 6 and I'm going to burn <laughs> Leviathan. Which it feels weird even saying because that's the one with fucking Ernie Hudson and Peter Weller and Richard Crenna. But see, like, uh, well, 
I'll, I'll explain first. Just Leviathan being the buy for me is just the, I did like the cast. Mm-hmm. I think and the, the production design was big for me out of all three. Sure. And I do feel like the the couple of like creature effect things I did like, I probably liked the most out of everything mm-hmm. between the three of them. So this and I also found this one to be like laughably bad. And the other two are kind of just bad. Um, I, I'm even surprised I'm saying this, but like, you know how I said that deep star six, like it didn't feel long to me because I just like, even though the monster's not around, like I just enjoyed like the characters and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I like the actors in Leviathan more, but I think I liked the characters more in deep star six. And um, you spend okay. a lot of time with them where not a whole lot is happening. And I think it goes a long way that I felt more invested in them, at least during this watch, than I did the Leviathan crew. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> it it does. It does. And I mean, the funny thing is, I said I would burn Leviathan. That's the one that I bought known on Blu-ray. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty sure Deep Star 6 is not available on Blu-ray in the U.S. I, I think there's like a European edition. Yeah, I don't believe so because I did look for that one because that's why I ended up having to buy it because I think that was like the easiest way to get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get it at the library, which is how I got the other two. Oh, nice. And, I mean, Deep Rising, you better damn well believe if that were available on Blu-ray, I would have bought it by now. Ooh. Um. It's just, I, I got to have that movie on my shelf. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> a couple of years ago, well, it's more than a couple now, when uh, Blockbuster and Hollywood videos were going out of business, like, across the board, mm-hmm. um, I went to a Hollywood video and I bought a bunch of used, you know, rental DVDs for like $2 a pop. And um, one of them was Deep Rising. So I've had it on my shelf. Like, I felt okay. I, I own a copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this... Uh, rewatch was the first time I attempted to watch it since I bought it a couple years ago and the disc was so fucking scratched from being a rental that it would not play oh, like bummer. I I got right up to the scene where they're walking in the hallway with all like the gore on the ground and everything and like mm-hmm. you're about to see the first monster attack and then it wouldn't fucking play after that <laughs> nice so that was awesome like what what was the worst like feeling than when you rent something and the disc wouldn't play Ah, oh, that's the worst. Oh boy! So did kids, you ever did you ever do um the physical copies from Netflix like in the mail? Oh yeah. Oh, I, dude, I was like early, early adopter of Netflix. Really? Oh god, yeah. Um, there were. I mean, I barely ever had any problems with Netflix, but there was definitely one time where it arrived and the disc was cracked in half. Oh really? Yeah, but oh, I would god. almost rather have that. Like, get the disc; it's broken. You can't even put it in and send it back, then watch a movie and you're halfway through, you're like into it, and then it stops working on you. A hundred percent. Like I took that disc out of Deep Rising and I flipped it over and I'm like, maybe I can clean. Oh my God. Like there were just so many fucking scratches on it. Dude, I used to get so many movies. Like I was on like the three at a time Netflix. Oh yeah, same here. Like I used to watch, and I even bought like a fancy, like a, disc repair kit of like these different like gels and sprays <laughs> and cloths. And I had like a six part system for like cleaning a disc just so I, whenever I ran into those problems, mm-hmm. you were doing them a favor. I was trying, man. I ain't trying to watch 45 minutes of a movie and not finish it. 
Well, I can tell you this. I I texted you a couple days ago and I told you that I think this podcast is cursed. <laughs> and the reason for that is, brief story. Uh, so my copy of Deep Star 6 that I attempted to watch, um, like I said, I, it was one of the first movies that I rented physically from Netflix back when I first got the program in like 07, 08. And um, I used to burn a lot of movies from Netflix. Like I'd get them, I would watch them. If I liked it, I would burn it. And so I had a burned copy of Deep Star 6 that I had never watched because the last time I watched it was when I got it in the mail back then. And so the other night, I'm like, okay, we're recording the podcast in a couple days. I'm going to pop that bad boy and I'm going to watch it. Put it in my PS4. Didn't recognize the disc. Mm. Took it out. Unplugged my PS4. Plugged in my PS3. Popped in the disc. Didn't recognize it. And I'm like, well, fuck. Now I can't watch this thing. So I'm like, okay. I will check Netflix. It's not on Netflix. I will check uh, YouTube. It's not on YouTube. There's like a version in another language. I will check HBO Go. It's not on HBO Go. I will check Amazon. The only way you can watch it on Amazon is to buy it. And I'm just like, fuck, I already have this disc. I just can't watch it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to watch Deep uh, Deep Rising instead. Pop in my disc. Like I said, I get like 40 minutes in. Stops working. Mm. Go to Netflix. Not on Netflix. Go to Amazon. It's on Amazon for rental, but it wasn't on YouTube and it wasn't on HBO Go. Mm-hmm. And I was just in such a fucking bad mood that night because I couldn't watch any of my fucking horror mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> so how did you end up finally watching Deep Star Six? <clears throat> oh. Other means. Those means that will not be said. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, man. Hey, I fucking tried. You tried. Uh, Fair enough. <clears throat> so I'm going to have to do a little pre-planning for future episodes instead of waiting until a couple days before. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. But uh, speaking of future episodes, yes, uh, the official way that we're going to end every episode is with a musical number. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned way back in the beginning of this episode, um, we've already got ideas for 83 different shows. I have a list of them all here, and they're all numbered. Mm-hmm. So Dax, if you'd like to set your random number generator in motion. Oh. Let's pick us a random episode to record next. Yes, let's. <clears throat> so, our random number is... 64. 64. All right. Theme number 64 is... Oh, my God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Cholrophobics Anonymous. Ah, uh, yes, of course. If you want to know what that means, and if you want to attempt to figure out what three movies we're going to be reviewing, you're going to have to try and spell the word I just said and put it into Google, because we luck. ain't telling. Good luck, you sons of bitches. <laughs> so I'm not sure when the next episode is going to be. We don't have a real firm schedule set yet, but... um. I mean, we do have like this added part of like hunting these things down to watch. True. Yeah. Actually, yeah. W- this one could be a little work. Um. Uh, yeah. Um, it'll it'll all come out in the next episode. But <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, next episode, episode two. Mm-hmm. Well, Millsy, let me say, congratulations. Yeah. On, on finishing the first episode. <laughs> it's done. We did it's it. It's been a long it's been a long time coming. We've been talking an awful lot about this podcast. Yeah, for we, quite we a came while. up with the idea well over a year ago. For sure. Um 
I'll commend you. I'd say you certainly have come up with more of the uh, trifectas than I have. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we have had a blast working together, coming up with different things. Oh, yeah. Just the text messages back and forth of oh. like, hey, how about these three movies? And then the response of just like, fuck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've got, I mean, these movies totally run the gamut of well-known blockbusters to obscure trash. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it is like genre film because mm-hmm. we're into like horror and sci-fi and stuff. Right. But we've definitely tried to put a couple of other genres in there. There's some things that I definitely think if we come up, if we get to these episodes, some of them are definitely going to be unexpected. For sure. And we're not stopping at 83. Like if I come up with any more ideas, I'll send them to you. And I of hope course. you'll do the same. So Absolutely. I mean, why stop here? Yeah. So... So get, get ready, people. Yeah. So officially, if and when episode two of Triple Threat Theater comes out, we will be doing the theme Colrophobics Anonymous. Uh, until then, my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.